welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through the discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is show 505. Our guest for today's show is Ed Broders, ROI history buff and retired farmer. And he is going to talk to us about Knoop Hall. Joining us for the show will be our history buff, Terry Toppler. To begin with, I know you've never heard this before, Ed, but welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thanks, John. <laughs> uh, it's interesting to be, uh, I guess this is my second time yeah, I know, on you, this mic. You, well, yes, yes. On this you, side of the mic. Yes, you know, you, you were um, a, a history buff last week and guest this week. You're moving up in the world. Um, this is our segment referred to as History is Local. And our goals is to give our listeners a little background on today's subject. Can, so, can you start us off with some basic information of what and where Knoop Hall is? Yeah, Knoop's Hall um, was located in uh, Stockton, Iowa, which is a little town on the uh, Rock Island, what was the Rock Island Railroad, uh, midway between Walcott and Durant. Um, and it's Stockton is in far northeast Muscatine County. Um, the history uh, of land ownership in that area, I believe, contributed um, very heavily to one to uh, the, the long-term success of Knoop's Hall because most of the people, at least by the turn of the 20th century, um, most of the land around there and a large area was owned by people who were descendants of immigrants from Schleswig-Holstein in northern Germany. The building itself was built in 1890 by a fellow with the good German name of Beerkamp. And as best I can tell, uh, Bill Knoop bought the place in 1920 and ran it until 1949, at which time Harvey and Ruby Knutson bought it from him. And it operated as a business until 1965, where due to changing tastes and times, it, was no, it no longer made sense to, to run it that way. Uh, one of my sources for this story is actually Harvey and Ruby's daughter, Connie Koss, who was born in 1949, about the same time. Um, so she grew up in the place. And my other source uh, is Mrs. Alberta Knutson, who was raised two blocks east of the dance hall in Stockton and started work there in 1945 at age 14. Okay, uh, can you present to our listeners, because um, you and I are both raised on farms, and we heard about the stories that um, uh, if it wasn't for dance halls, and Knoop wasn't the only one, right. that um, half the kids that you went to school with wouldn't be around, because that's where the young went when they got off the farms, both guys and gals, to go meet uh, people their age in the community. Well, and I think to... to um completely understand that we have to go back to mid uh, mid 19th century Europe um, many of the immigrants from Schleswig Holstein were on the wrong side of revolutions a wrong in, religious uh, war yes um, and at the time Schleswig Holstein was being ruled by the Danish crown yep. and the uh, folks that came from Schleswig Holstein were not your typical immigrants um, most of them had money and were fairly well-respected and educated and politically active, but they were on the wrong side of the revolution in Europe. So they came to this country. They wanted uh, more individual rights. 
They wanted um, a secular state and um, more democracy. Wanted democracy. Um, the things they couldn't get in Europe, they they came here to seek out. Yeah. Um, along those lines, um, if I recall, my grandfather used to say that. Of course, you're talking Stockton, but just. East of it is Walcott, and Walcott was a town, same group of people, that refused to have a church. They were the only town in Iowa that did not have a church, and the Lutherans didn't want it because they were the product of the Schlegfig-Holstein War, and it wasn't until 59, and the one they put in there was Methodist. It wasn't even Lutheran. Yeah, it's, yeah it's a little, and it's a little more, um, a little bigger than all that, John. Um, Durant only ever had an Anglican church, which, of course, was English. Right. Um, and the Lutheran church in Durant dates from the Great Depression. But in addition to that, much of rural Scott County, southeastern Cedar, and eastern Muscatine County, there were no country churches. They, they came over here as a group. They were politically conservative by our standards, but they didn't go to church. No. Which was really unusual. Right. Uh, but yes. I don't think we can extrapolate from that that they were atheists. No, it's, it's funny you should say that because my wife is from a small town north of Mason City, and I've grown up in small town farms. Um, being raised Catholic, we went to Davenport, and nobody around us went to church, which we didn't care. That was what it was. But then when I went up to um, my wife's small town and the towns around it, the entire church... Uh, the entire social hierarchy of the community is driven from the church out, which for me was just incredibly bizarre. And then I told that to my dad, and he laughed. He goes, son, you are the only secular part of the entire state. And I had not a clue of that, but he was right. Yeah, I, I didn't know what a country church was until I went to college. Not that I'd ever really thought about it. Um, but uh, in my family... Um, which goes back several generations. Um, nobody went to church, um, particularly going back before 1930. Nobody went to church on either my mother's side, which was east of Eldridge, or my dad's side, where we were east, or, east of Stockton since 1863. Um, and, so, and that leads us to, I think, one of the main reasons why Knoops Hall was so popular. Because if you were a young person, where else were you going to go right. to meet young people of the opposite sex? You know, and the rest of the part, being Germans, of course, they like their music, they like their beer, they like their parties. Um, and so it's perfectly understandable why Knoops Hall um, was built where it was and why it did so well for so long. On that note, too, my dad, who, of course, he's born in 40, said all those halls were there, but what even made it better, now this is after Canoops, is that the counties figured out how to build roads that you wouldn't kill yourself on, especially with the frost holes that would drop. And electricity was going through the community, which helped the halls out even more. Right. Um, Stockton had electricity in 1920, which was uh, the same year that Highway 6 was paved from Davenport out to Hell's Corner in Durant. Okay. That makes a difference. Uh, we'll talk a lot more about this, so please stay tuned to the next segment of our show. This is RRI and KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. At a time when misinformation is all too common on social media, 
We take great pride in bringing you the news that matters, that impacts your family, news you can trust. Local broadcast journalists bring you the facts, covering the stories breaking in our community and across the globe. Text RADIO to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on local journalism. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters. Hello and welcome to ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, the radio show where events of history are examined through discussion of books, journal articles, papers, and presentations. Then historians and history buffs ask the question, what is relevant or irrelevant in today's world? My name is John Keeley, and this is the second segment of the show, which is referred to as The Kitchen Table. Our noted guest for today is Ed Broders, ROI history buff and retired farmer, and we're going to be talking about Canoop Hall and uh, pretty much the other halls in the area as well. And our history buff today is Terry Toppler. Terry, why don't you start us off? Yeah. Thank you. So, Ed, yeah, you gave me some insight, actually, into my own grandmother uh, when you were talking about the descendants of Schleswig Holstein uh, sell, uh, settling that area and about church and so on, because my grandmother was not a church-going person, even though she married a, per- a man who was an ordained Baptist minister. So you couldn't... Really? Yeah, I know. Crazy. Anyway, so... But uh, my question is, so you had mentioned earlier that in 1945... A young lady was working there at the age of 14 in Knoops Hall. Right. So leads me to the question, was there any age restriction for people who could attend the hall? And if not, was there alcohol being served at that time? There was always alcohol being served <laughs> and stocked. Okay? Of course. Okay. <laughs> um, but as far as Alberta, um, she started working there um, in the mornings uh, on dance nights, which was Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday, uh, she started at 7 o'clock in the morning making hamburger patties uh, to be cooked in the kitchen and then sold during the dance. But she was under very strict orders that at 5 o'clock she was to leave and go home. Really? Yes, sir. Um, <laughs> you know, Stockton wasn't the roughest place in the world, but, no. you know, it was, it was a railroad town. Um, and, uh, that, that leads me to another point as far as, uh, why it survived and was so popular. It was a big place and it's, and if you've got a big place, you can afford to hire a better band. And there were no hard roads going into Stockton, uh, until 1920. It was the only one. And even at that time, a lot of the bands would travel by rail. And so being on a main line made that a whole lot simpler because there were more trains. The other thing that the dance hall had going for it along those lines was that there were living quarters in the building and there were a few extra rooms that sometimes the band members slept in after the dance until the next train rolled in the next morning. Okay. Um, Along with what we're talking about there with Stockton because... uh, when we talk about farming today, as you know it, it's so incredibly, incredibly different. Um, I think because you're a little older than I am, I missed out on the milking era where everybody had milk cows. My grandfather got rid of his in 63 because all the kids had gone out. 
But you learned quite quickly from my parents that the milking hours were so different and that you had shifts because, like, remember, we always have these dinners late, but he said, no, all our dinners were at noon. And people don't realize that the dance halls had to adjust to that. It wasn't like today where you just sit there and say, we're going to be here at start at 8 and we'll be done at midnight. And, no, they had different hours and different settings. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that Alberta told me was that uh, – since the place was so popular, it was not uncommon for the band to play all night long. Even though the contract didn't specify that, they would play all night long because people just wouldn't go home. Okay. Uh, and and most of the att- people that attended were uh, were from rural areas, and so I think there were probably a few young men in their time that got home from the dance and started chores. Yeah, you just got done, and I mean, and, and as long and the parents were so forgiving when you were out raising cane, they were just a loving, forgiving crowd. Terry. Yeah. So, okay. So we talked a little bit about there didn't seem to be any official age restrictions. Okay, though Alberta had to go home by five o'clock. Right. And my dad okay. said he started buying whiskey over the bar at age fifteen in nineteen thirty-four. Oh, and that was one of the things about the dance hall, as best I could tell, throughout its life, from beginning to end, there was there were cops there, but they were there to keep the peace, and yeah. the legal drinking age really wasn't very high on anybody's list. Okay. So I piggybacking on that, I'm thinking, well, Prohibition was like 1920 to 1933. Correct. Okay. And then I noticed it, that Tavenport actually adopted a regulation in the 1920s about types of dancing and jazz dancing in the 20s was was forbidden uh, because they thought it was illicit type of dancing. But then there was changes, 1930s with the Great Depression and then later in 1950s concerns about rock and roll. Did Alberta talk about anything regarding like the types of dancing or the types of bands that were promoted that were most popular during that time period? Well, I think it's fair to say she didn't really talk about it too much, but I think they more or less reflected um, the popular music tastes of the day. Um, but I'm also pretty certain that uh, since this was a heavily German um, a group here, Yavol. that uh, most of those bands knew how to play a polka. A polka. <laughs> well, it, it's funny you should sit there and say that, too, because um, Terry brings up a really remarkable point. You have individuals that when this is starting are coming back, some of them from World War One. And you have these periods of time where, for a while, farmers are making money, then they crash financially before the rest of the nation does. Um, does, for one, does Stockton have any like historical record of the hall or the people that were involved? That you know, because this obviously these individuals are marvelous primary sources. Um, what's the record of this? Well, you know, a lot of this stuff are things I should have been asking about 50 years ago, but when you're 17, this isn't top of your list. Um, but uh, um, the uh, I think the music was the popular music of the day for the most part, um, but to give you a sense of how popular the dance hall was, uh, when radio came along, um, which I think was probably in the 20s or the... Th- yeah. um, Late 20s, early 30s yeah. places. Um, there was a very popular, regionally popular band from Cedar Rapids named Tom Owens Cowboys. And they had a very big following. And Alberta said that um, WMT radio would set up from Cedar Rapids. 
and they would broadcast the music, the dance music, live wow. and uh, from Knoops Hall in Stockton, and that her grandfather, living two blocks up the street, just couldn't get over how there was a box in his living room oh, yeah. where this invisible <laughs> signal somehow started at the dance hall, was bounced to Cedar Rapids, and he could sit there in his living room and listen to that live music that was two blocks away. Yeah, that would be totally amazing. Mind-boggling without a doubt. Terry. So, Ed, we talked a little bit earlier before the show began about the artwork, that Knoops Hall was also famous for the type of artwork that was there. Can you talk about that, please? Yes. Um, the, uh, the hall itself the, the, was probably 80 feet long, and the dance floor was probably 45 feet wide with room for a stage. But on either side of the dance hall, running the length of the floor, um, as part of the transition kind of to the, to the ceiling, there were murals that ran on either mm -hmm. side lengthwise. Um, and they were painted by, um, were painted by a fellow named Hans Lamp, who shows up in a 1929 Muscatine County Atlas as owning 20 acres of land south of Stockton. But he was, uh, he was a German immigrant who had been trained as an artist. And the, uh, the murals themselves were um, landscapes that were probably five foot by um, six foot or so and different scenes all the way along. But periodically they needed to be repainted um, because there was almost no ventilation in the place. And you can imagine if you stick 500 people in here on a hot summer night. Um, so he would come in and um, set up his scaffolds and as local legend has it by the time he was done repainting the murals it pretty well covered the barbell well you know <laughs> that's a great trade i mean the old country works that way for sure um but if i mean one of my but one of my prized possessions is a, a, a rather nondescript landscape painting that my mom found in the house uh farmhouse 40 years ago and it turns out it was a wedding present to my grandpa and grandma Broders in 1916, and it was painted by Hans Lamp, the really? same guy that huh. did the stuff. Yeah, and um, that did the stuff at the uh, at the dance hall. And Alberta um, has about five or six of these paintings that have just kind of come her way cool. over the years. Cool. Um, one thing to bring up too is not just the hall, but again the young men and women going to the hall and seeing the music i remember an interview one time where someone was talking to one of the bandmates of uh, hank williams and he said uh, hank williams always carried with him a gun and he goes why'd he carry with a gun he goes look it we played for people that were the poorest of poor had no outside world and this guy spends his entire two months to save up to take the neighbor girl who he was betrothed to marry and she goes and sees this tall, handsome man standing there, and she thinks it's his t her ticket out of that little place. Goes, things can get really rough. Was there any kind of records? Because, I mean, if, the other side, if you're a farm person and you want to get off the farm, music is possibly your way out of it. Do they have records of that? Um, no, I don't think so. Okay. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, the dancing uh, was one socially acceptable way for a young man, if you will, um, getting your hands on a young woman in a, in a socially acceptable manner, of course. Um, but as regards um, the violence, 
um, there were fights. Oh, yeah, I bet there were. There were fights because uh, on the west side of the building was the tap room, which uh, I think the bar was probably 55 feet long and was, was said to be the longest working bar in Iowa. But uh, fights were part of it, and the police were there um, to keep things from getting too out of hand. Um, and there was one guy that I've heard over the years named George Frick, who um, seemed like he was always involved in these fights. Now, and it was all these fisticuffs. There was no, no weapons. But uh, I saw George's daughter last spring. And uh, I asked her if her dad ever talked about going to Stockton to the dances, and she kind of said, well, yeah, you know, I think most of the time he went to Stockton and got cleaned up so he could get in a fight. (laughs) (laughs) He's thinking of others. I see that, yeah. And there was another, there was an old boy from Davenport, drove gas truck, but uh, Harry Schlenson would come over in in the uh, summertime, and he would sit out. He never. He'd sit outside the hall on a bench. He never went in the place because he was a bachelor and he didn't dance anyway. Um, but he would just sit there during the dance, and uh, he would wait for the fights to start. And when the cops threw him out in the street, that's when he would. That was his entertainment, was to sit out there and watch the fights get thrown out into the street. <laughs> wow. Um, It'd be interesting. I'm sure that they're duking it out one moment, then they're bailing hay together the next. Uh, Terry. (laughs) So I guess that leads me to the question about the reputation of the dance halls. And maybe it varied depending on who you were talking to. But, you know, I think about my grandfather who was born in 1881. And now he was in Missouri, not Iowa. But still, he's talked about at the time how he'd gone out, as a young man would, with his horse and buggy to a dance and when he came back, a few hours later, his mother had written this two-page handwritten letter that she placed on his bed, explaining again how he was a, they had raised this fine young man, and she was very concerned about him going to this dance hall. And he just chuckled and chuckled about it and kept that letter for the rest of his life. And so I think about that. So, hmm, that would have been around the early 1900s. So dance halls must have had a varied reputation amongst the locals. I think that's that's fair. Um, I mean, and it's not like every dance turned into an all-out brawl. No. But, uh, but the Stockton Dance Hall was regionally very popular. I had a friend whose dad was born in 1917, um, and they lived about 40 miles away from Stockton, and he came up regularly to the dances. And I also, in the last few years, ran, a, ran into a woman who had grown up in McCausland, which is in northern Scott County and is about the same distance from Stockton. So people came yep. from a pretty big radius. They had they have that one um, on the up Fairland on the upside of the Wasi right. Pentagon. Right. And uh, my dad would talk about. <clears throat> so my dad was born in forty. So a generation after this, but you know, uh, in the summer, you know, especially uh, guys would be bailing hay everywhere, and when you got done, there was a syndicate. You went to one on one night, then you went to the other the other night, and because. It was great fun and entertainment. When you went to any of these dance halls, they had um, cards there. And on the cards were the schedules um, would have been for, like, the call ballroom on West 4th Street here in Davenport or the Walcott Coliseum, perhaps, and maybe Fairyland in Stockton. But all these operators, um, you know, as a manner of, of advertising, 
cheap advertising. Um, they had these cards, and they were all over the place. So you knew who was going to be where when. Right. Oh. Terry. Yeah, I found it interesting, Ed, when you're talking about the distance people traveled, especially in the 1920s and 1930s, I wonder how many of the population even had cars. You know, they're still probably going by horse and buggy, and that would take a long time to get there. Su- is, go ahead, please. Surprisingly yeah. enough, the answer is not what you think. Okay. Rural uh, farmers, and, and we also have to remember this area that I talked about where there were no churches, was pretty good farmland. And so they weren't, when they were poor, they weren't nearly as poor as people in other places. Um, but I just read a book about the development of farm tractors. And farmers bought cars long before they bought tractors because cars were reliable and tractors weren't, in, in a nutshell. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, but even at that, um, you know, there were very few roads, paved roads around. Right. And it was not uncommon to be an hour's drive. Well, and my father-in-law, <clears throat> who was born in 27, uh, he talks about, because um, now he wasn't from this area, he was up outside of Blue Earth, or as they call it, Blurth, Minnesota. And he talks about the social differences of society at the dance halls, because those who had the cars, of course, they would attract the ladies. There were guys that would come up with horses, because mm-hmm. they didn't have the cars, and that's what they had. And again... As he said, if you ever rode with a gal with a horse on the back, goes, it's a disaster because for one, and this is in Minnesota, but they all wear dresses, which doesn't go well because whenever you ride the horse, the mud from below comes up and destroys whatever clothes you have on. Said and he said there was those who had the cars. It was the to put it in a slang term, the greatest chick magnet there was because it beat the hell out of a horse. Yeah, I was I was going to guess there was something to be said with a horse and buggy where it was a long time alone with the girl. But well, apparently let that's me, not the case. Well, actually, let me add to that. Uh, my grandfather did mention one time there was something nice about the horse and buggy because the horse knew the way home right. and he could just drop the reins. Yeah. Um, I, I've, heard, yeah I've, I've heard that as well. Yeah, no, I'm sure it was a mix. Um so, I mean, uh, back to what you're talking about, I know that you had uh, these individuals, these primary sources with the Knopp Hall. Have they, did they talk about, like, again, the Walcott Coliseum was a big one that I heard for a very long time and a little bit rivalry, but, again, um, it's not that far from each other. Did they talk about the other halls as well or when you talked to them about it? or Not really. I mean, you and I have both been in the Walcott Coliseum enough times um, but Pleasant Prairie, which is a little wide spot yep. in the road south of uh, southwest of Stockton, had a dance hall, and it wasn't much. Sunbury had one. Really? Uh, I didn't north know that. Of Durant. Oh, yeah. Well, there was a railroad there. Yes, there was. And, yes, there um, was. Durant used uh, the upper floor of the KP Hall, but it wasn't much. No. Um, Stockton was built for that purpose, uh, and it was really kind of a show place. In Eldridge, they had Tomberg's for a while. Right. I don't know how old that one was. I know Leo who ran it. Uh, but, you know, again, Eldridge, and Eldridge now the suburb of Davenport, but when I was a kid, uh, if they had 1,000 people out there, they were lucky, and now they got over 6,000. So, right. But, you know, it's, it's interesting from that perspective. Uh, that would actually be a great local book to go do the research research on the halls and do the comparison of all of them. And I can remember as probably about a 10-year-old going up to Maysville 
for a wedding reception at the Maysville Dance Hall. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, It's customary for us to give our guests the last words. Ed, in our last minute, uh, how do you think knowing about Knup Hall is relevant in today's world? Well, I think it's relevant um, when considered in the light of the reasons that the people left Schleswig-Holstein. And it's disturbingly reminiscent of the times we're living through today. They wanted democracy, they wanted individual rights, and they wanted secularism, and all those things are seriously under assault in this country. Yes. Uh, When we come back, we'll wrap things up, so please stay tuned. This is ROI on KALA, St. Ambrose University, 106.1 FM. You're listening to Relevant or Irrelevant. This series is produced at St. Ambrose University's KALA Radio and has been honored by the Midwest Broadcast Journalists Association and the Iowa Broadcast News Association for excellence in public affairs journalism. You can hear this edition of ROI and many previous programs in this series by visiting Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, plus Apple Podcasts. ROI airs Friday nights at 9.30 p.m. on KALA HD2 and can also be heard at 106.1 FM in the Metropolitan Quad City area. You can stream this show every Friday night at TuneIn.com. Search for KALA HD2. This concludes our 505th show of ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant. Our producer and engineer is Dave Baker. Our program manager is Rick Sweet. And the theme song for our show is titled Kayla's Theme, which was written and performed by Mark Zaptel. My name is John Keeley. We would like to thank our guest, Ed Broders, ROI history buff and retired farmer, who talked to us about the history of Knoops Hall. We would also like to thank our history buff, Terry Toppler. This is ROI, Relevant or Irrelevant, and KALA. The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of St. Ambrose University or KALA. We would like to wish all our listeners to experience the great Basutu proverb, Hotso Pulanala, peace, reign, and prosperity. And remember, historians are horrible fortune tellers. Good night. <laughs>